today's passage is Romans 8, 26 through 39. In the way, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts know that the mind of the Spirit is. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but believed, delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You'll just remain standing for just a minute. Would you just join me in a word of prayer? Well, Father, I thank you, Lord, with my brothers and sisters this morning. We stand in awe at what was just read that is true. Lord, that as your people in Christ, there is nothing. There is nothing that has ever been created. There is nothing that will ever be created that can separate or condemn or even bring a charge against your chosen ones. And God, we praise you for that reality this morning in Christ. Father, we thank you that you have set this plan into motion. We thank you that the Lord Jesus paid the price to make this plan possible. And Lord, we celebrate the reality that the very Spirit of God secures this in us today. And Lord, we love you and we praise you because you first loved us. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat, grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8 if you haven't already. It's a little bit bittersweet for us. We've been walking through Romans and we come to the end of chapter 8. Actually, you never come to the end of chapter 8 and you never finish reading chapter 8. You just kind of stop for a while and go on to something else because it's just limitless. The truth, it's here in the book of Romans, and especially Romans chapter 8. And I hope it's been challenging for you. Uh, if you're visiting, if you're new, we welcome you this morning. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. and 
Let me set the, the context a little bit, even the direction for us as a church over the next few weeks, just so you'll know. This morning, we are, we're going to wrap up Romans 8 this morning. Then we're going to take a little break through the summer. Uh, we're going to go into a series called The Story. And what the story is going to do is it's going to trace the movements of God's redemptive plan throughout all of history, throughout the Bible, uh, creation and the fall and redemption and then new creation and how that you see that throughout history, how you see that throughout the Bible. Our family discipleship plan for our families and caregivers. Uh, this summer is going to be really good because every age group is going to be chasing the exact same big truth. So it's an opportunity for us to align together as families around the family discipleship plan. Same thing on Sunday morning. Same thing every age group will be studying. It's a really good time for you to pursue and press into this thing called family discipleship this summer. you hear more about that next week, this morning, Romans chapter 8. Let's try to bring this thing to a close. And just a lot of emotions for me this morning, a lot of thoughts, a ton of stuff I'd like to say. Our time's limited this morning. Uh, we're going to worship our way through Romans 8, and then in just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as God's people coming out of Romans 8. We thought that was really appropriate this morning. Uh, but I hope for you, it's been similar of, of what it's been for me. I, I personally have been challenged and thrilled and overwhelmed as we've read through Romans 8, uh, the book of Romans, just with a, a hunger to worship. And a hunger to just be overwhelmed by these truths that we see of what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do through the power of His Spirit. And just in a moment of transparency and vulnerability, I've also been, I'll have to say, burdened. And I think the burden has come from the reality as, we, as we've walked through chapter 8 and focused on the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, God is triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that when we come to the Holy Spirit, we'd all have to just agree that we have a, a, a lack of understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And, and that lack of understanding costs us greatly. I think we chase substitutes in our lives as followers of Christ, substitutes for what the Holy Spirit is already doing in our life. And we miss some of the great realities that the Spirit of God, John MacArthur said this, somehow the Holy Spirit has been trailing behind in terms of emphasis, when in reality the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity most personally and intimately involved in the life of every believer. The Bible says, blessed be the Lord God and, and blessed be the fellowship of the Spirit. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are never separated from God a single moment. You are never out of the fellowship of God because His Spirit indwells us. The very Spirit of God lives within us. The Spirit of God who is no less sovereign than the Father, who is no less Lord than Jesus the Son. He is God and He indwells every believer. We saw this a few weeks, weeks ago. One pastor said it this way, the Christian life is essentially life in the Spirit. That is to say that a life which is animated, sustained, directed, enriched, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, true Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, indeed impossible. But you are never apart from the Spirit of God, child of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. 
So just a little review, some things we've seen in Romans chapter 8, just to catch you up. We, we saw several weeks ago a few big truths. One of these big truths is this, that the Holy Spirit of God indwells every believer. Every believer is indwelt at the moment of salvation by the very Spirit of God. You are a partaker of the divine nature. We saw last week that the Holy Spirit is bearing witness. He is giving testimony to who are the children of God. He leads God's people. He directs our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father, to our Heavenly Father. He is bearing witness that we are God's children and that we are heirs of future glory. Our future is secure because of the sustaining work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Now, if you remember last week, we saw that we're kind of in this weird transition state as believers. We have been born again. We are redeemed. We know our future glory. But we live in this fallen world because of sin. We live in this incarcerated body. We, our spirit is redeemed. The spirit of God lives within us. Yet we live in this shell of sin that's not going to go away until Jesus comes. So remember Romans 8 says we groan. We groan waiting for our redemption when Jesus is revealed and we are made like him. We saw last week that creation itself groans. We live in a futile, fallen, frustrating world where things break and things wear out. And all those things are a reminder that the world has been subjected to frustration and futility. Waiting. We're waiting. We're groaning. For Jesus to come and make everything right and to redeem us and to glorify us and make us like himself. So we're waiting. So we're in this kind of weird. One commentator said we're, it's like we're half saved. We're waiting for Christ to come and redeem and make everything right. We groan. Now the next section that we're going into in Romans chapter 8 verse 26 comes right out of those verses. And here's the big truth. We're going to chase two big truths this morning few big ideas and then we're going to worship. We're going to continue to worship into the Lord's Supper this morning. Here's the big truth I want you to see this morning going into verse 26. It's this, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now I can't even begin to tell you how important and practical this is into every area of your life this morning, child of God. The Holy Spirit, it's a constant help in our weaknesses. We live in a weakened state, a place of weakness in this world today. And all God's people said, Amen. So look with me in verse 26. Here's where this big truth comes from. It says this. In the same way. Same way as what? Same way as creation is groaning. Same way all believers are groaning. Longing for our redemption to be final. Longing for this final state of glorification. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not even know how to pray as we should. In this current state that we're in of longing and waiting for Christ to return, there is so much going on in the cosmic realm. There's so many things happening left to ourselves. We don't even know how to pray as we ought to pray. Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? 
And we've all been in those situations, right? This is incredibly practical, what we're reading in Romans 8. It's, it's to the loftiness of the, the highest theological truths you'll ever see, but right down to the practical realities. We get in situations, and there's sometimes we, we Lord, I don't even know what to pray. Right? You've been there? The Bible says the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In our state of weakness, waiting for our final redemption, how do we as half-saved sons and daughters persevere in this state of weakness, waiting for our final redemption? Answer, the help of the Spirit of God. How do we as believers continue in the faith and not fall away? The answer is the Spirit of God. Because let me just tell you a truth this morning. If I could fall away and lose my faith, I would. And so would you. And it is the Spirit of God and His never-ceasing, ongoing work that seals us and secures us. He never ceases interceding for us. What is our guarantee as believers that God will finish what He started in us? The presence of the very Spirit of God. Ephesians 1 says He seals us with the very seal of God to the day of redemption. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. How do we know that? Because His Spirit indwells us and never ceases to intercede and help our weaknesses. He sustains us. That's incredible reality. The Spirit of God sustains us in the same way. Just as creation groans, just as believers groan waiting for glory, this verse says the Holy Spirit in the same way is groaning to the Father in a way that cannot even be communicated in human words. He helps us. The word help here literally means to share in, to come within, to come to the aid, to involve oneself intimately in the life of another. The Spirit of God is intimately, moment by moment, involved in every area of your life, sustaining, securing, guaranteeing your future glory, and working for God's glory and making us like Jesus. That is happening right now at this moment by the power of the Spirit. Pretty incredible. In our weakness, our present state of groaning, these infirmities that we face, our present weakened condition, we don't even know how to pray. I'm going to give you some big ideas that I think are very practical that flow out of this. Big idea number one is this, that the Spirit continually intercedes for us with groaning beyond human words. The Spirit is continually interceding for us. This is a never-ceasing, the word intercession is a, it's kind of a biblical word for this prayer, this divine communion going on between the Spirit and the Father, this never-ceasing, sustaining, persevering, inter-Trinitarian communication. I, I was sharing this the other night with my little girls before we went to bed, and I had I, been studying this, and I said to my 10 and 8-year-old, I, I used the word inter-Trinitarian communication, and my wife went, honey. Could you just lower it up? Come on now. I'm not sure the eight-year-old gets the idea. Here's the point. There is constant communication going on within the Trinity, and the Spirit is continually interceding on your behalf within the Trinity. Incredible. Too deep for human words. Human words can't even grasp it. It's never ceasing. 
As we sit here this morning, you are constantly breathing air. You don't even realize it. You don't even have to think about it. You can chew. I know everybody just started thinking about it. So, take a breath. You weren't thinking about it before I said that, but it was happening. You know how I knew it was happening? Because you're alive, right? You can consciously enter into the breathing process and choose to enter into that just like prayer. We enter into prayer, but what undergirds our praying is we know never ending, never ceasing, never stopping is this divine communication, this prayer that's going on from the Spirit within us directly to God the Father and just this amazing reality that never stops. Incredible. That undergirds and secures and guarantees our future glory because of the work of the Spirit. This intercession within the Trinity is how God's people are secure even in our weakness, even in our fallen state. The Spirit is securing us. Let me give you a quick example. If you walk through the Gospels, there's an event in the life of Peter. Peter is tempted and Peter is tested and Peter denies the Lord Jesus. Remember that? And Jesus tells Peter that it's going to happen. And you don't have to look this up. This is in Luke 22. This conversation between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Here's what that means. Peter, Satan is coming after you to separate you from your faith. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 32. But... I have prayed for you. Now watch this. That your faith may not fail. Because your faith and my faith left up to me will fail. (laughs) Everybody okay with that? Because you're weak and I'm weak. Jesus says to Peter, your faith's not going to fail, Peter. Not because you got it all together, Peter, because you're so strong. By the way, Peter thought he was strong. Jesus said, no, you're not strong. Satan's coming after you. Your faith's not going to fail because I'm interceding. I'm praying for you. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There were cosmic realities going on that Peter didn't even know about. Peter thought he was strong in his own strength. That which held Peter was the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ. That same type of intercession is going on right now for you on your behalf by the Spirit of God who is indwelling you, brothers and sisters in Christ. Securing us. And let me give you a big word for that. Grace. (laughs) Grace. So the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings beyond human words. Verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's big idea number two. The Spirit continually intercedes for us according to God's will. Now, I am very appreciative and I long for the prayers of God's people. I've used this testimony before that I'm probably who I am in many ways because of the prayers of my godly grandmother who constantly prayed for me. She prayed me out a message. She prayed me into marriage. She prayed me a godly wife. I am thankful for the prayers of my godly grandmother. Here the Bible says the Spirit of God is continually interceding for you in perfect alignment to the will of God. 
I can pray for you, but I don't know that I'm always perfectly praying in alignment for the will of God. The Spirit of God never ceases to intercede for God's people, and it's always in perfect alignment to the will of God. Wow. This is the perfect intercession of the Spirit of God. Now, all this is going on, and Paul is walking us through all of this, the ministry of the Spirit that never ceases. So what's the outcome? What is the result of this intercession of the Spirit in the life of every believer and this intercession of the Spirit perfectly in alignment with God's will? Verse 28, ready? You say, oh, I think I know that one. Listen to verse 28. I imagine if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've heard verse 28, but I doubt very seriously you know the background, the support of it. Why is verse 28 possible in the life of the believer? It is only possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Watch, verse 28. And Paul says, and we know. You want to circle a little phrase in your Bible? You can circle the whole thing. Heck, you can just circle all of chapter 8 of Romans. But anyway, you can circle this little phrase here. And we know. Paul is convinced of a reality. And he says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That is one of those verses that every believer at one time will come in contact with. Memorize that thing, understand it, but I want you to understand it in the context of Romans chapter 8. How can that be true? Now let me, let me just take a moment of levity for a second and tell you what Romans chapter 8 verse 28 doesn't mean. Ready? Ready? Romans 8.28 is not support for this. Well, it is what it is, you know. We all say that from time to time, that idea of, well, you know, life just comes at me and I'm kind of the victim of just chance and I don't know what's going to happen. It is what it is. No, it's not. He is who he is. That's a little bit better one. My family knows that I'm not a big fan of country music. You got some country music fans here, right? I'm not. I have a lot of other ways I can find depression in my life besides country music. So I don't, I, you know. There's a particular country music song that I loathe to my core of my being. And my family knows it. And my little girls will get on my, my phone and they'll hit Spotify. And they'll run through the house playing this song because they know I can't stand it. And it's the exact opposite of Romans 8.28. Ready? Here it is. I'm not going to sing it, but it goes like this. <laughs> the truth in this song is just amazing. Right. right yeah. If it's meant to be, it'll be. <laughs> Baby, just let it be. <laughs> Do you understand somebody made millions of dollars to write that? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Child of God, I pray the song that is in your heart with all the depths of my being is this, that we serve and follow a God who causes all things to perfectly work together for your good and for his glory. And the reason we know 
that is a reality for the child of God is because of the intercession work of the Spirit of God who is interceding for the child of God in a way that is in perfect accordance to God's will and God responds to the prayers of the Spirit and weaves all things together. Now watch this. Walk with me. Verse 28. Who is at work? God. Not circumstances that are outside of our control. Not circumstances that are outside of God's control. God causes all things to work together for good. That does not mean all things are good. That does not mean God is the author of evil. That's not the point. He is so sovereign that he weaves all things together for the good of his children. Timothy Keller said it this way, The universe is not a mechanism run by blind chance. It is run by a divine person, by our Heavenly Father. He is who He is in every situation. What is He working together? Read it. He is causing all things to work together. Pastor Mike, do you think that really means all things? I really do. The, the idea here in the original language is such a comprehensive word, it means all things. That means things that seem common and ordinary in life. It means things that seem incredibly important in life. It means our own failings. Listen, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to wrestle with how I have significantly let other people down. And so do you, and we will. But somehow I can trust, uh, for believers, God will work even my own failings in my life and the lives of other people for their good and His glory. Incredible reality. It also means that He will use the mistakes of others in our life for our good. Every person in this room has been, will be hurt by others. You will be offended. You'll be let down. People will offend you. People will wound you. People will scar you. Somehow, some way, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Genesis 50:20. Joseph thrown in the pit, taken from his family. If you don't know that verse, he said, God, they meant it for evil. God says, but I meant it for good. Doesn't mean all things are good. It means he brings all things together for good. He's working all things. John MacArthur said in his providence, God orchestrates every event in life, even suffering, temptation, and sin to accomplish both our temporal and eternal benefit. Nothing operates outside of the sovereign plan of God. For who? Is this just a blanket promise for all humanity? It's not. Paul's very clear here, and he points this out in Romans 8, 28. You can't miss it. This is for those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. That is unmistakably the saints of God, the people who've been called by God. That Paul sometimes talks about the positional realities, sometimes the practical realities that you can see. He can say, true saints, true to those who have been placed faith in Christ, those who are justified. A manifestation of that in their life is they're going to have a love for God. 
He doesn't say, well, if you love me, I'm going to take care of everything. No, no, he says, you know the saints of God because they have a love for God. And God causes all things to work together for those he's called, his people, his children, who by faith know Christ and have been redeemed by Christ. God is working all things for those who love God for what purpose? He says for good. He says for good. Okay, so, so what is the good here? John Newton said, everything is needful that God sends. Nothing is needful that God withholds. God is working for good. What is the good? I want you to stop. I want you to ask this question with me. Okay, so what is the good... That God is working for here in response to the Spirit. What is the good that He promises to bring all things together to work in our life? The overarching good. It's not just good that, that I get the date that I want on Friday night. It's much more than that. It's not just the good that my bank account ends up in a healthy place. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I want you to understand and push back a little bit from our self-centeredness and see that God is working a good that is overarching to everything else in your life, child of God. Have you ever wrestled and said, what is God's purpose for my life? What is God's will for my life? What is God doing in my life? He answers it right here in 29 and 30. What is the good God is working for ultimately? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew. We'll come back to that. He also predestined. He set something in motion ahead of time. That these, His people, would become conformed to the image of His Son. So that He would be the firstborn. That He there is Jesus. That Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. These whom He justified, He also glorified. Let me give you a big idea number three. The Spirit continually intercedes for us, bringing about God's ultimate purpose for His glory and for our glory good what is the ultimate good that God is working in the life of every believer every minute every circumstance works to it it is in response to the prayers of the spirit God determined that it would happen before the foundation of the world he answers it in verse 29 and he says he also predestined us the people of God to become conformed to the image of his son That means God's ultimate plan and purpose for every believer is that you will be conformed and transformed into the very likeness of the Son of God. We will be like Jesus. Every every plan, every bump, every difficulty, everything that seems to go awry, God... uh, All of that fits under the overarching idea and principle and purpose that God is working in you to make you like the Son. Timothy Keller said it this way. This means God has a master design or form. That's His Son. And now every circumstance, all things, is designed to shape, 
polish, melt into that master design. He is pouring us into the mold of Christ's perfect greatness. He is making you to think like Jesus, act like Jesus, walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus. Not a clone, but the life of Christ coming out of you for his glory. Everything is working toward that, beloved. That ought to be incredibly challenging to us. That the the idea of holiness is what God is taking us to. That ought to be very comforting to us. Because sometimes we say, man, I look back over the last week. I look back over the past month. And I I feel like I'm going backwards sometimes. Right? Don't you? Don't look at me so spiritual. Come on. (laughs) Spirit of God says, no, no, no. I'm going to bring all those things together for the people of God. And I'm going to work in you to make you more and more like Jesus the Son. Why and what's the point? End of verse 29. So that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. What does that mean, Pastor Mike? Let me challenge you again when you read a verse like that. And by the way, God is taking us into the depths of the mind of God here. Eternity past. This is incredible truth. When you see something like this, let me encourage you to push back from the table of our self-centeredness. Watch this. And realize that ultimately the plan and purpose of salvation is not even about you. It's not about you. We're the benefactors. We're the beneficiaries. The purpose of God the Father is to save a people, to call them out of darkness, make them like His Son, and present them to the Son forever and ever and ever to give Him worship and honor and glory. Make them like Him where forever we will serve as a love gift from the Father to the Son as an expression of love within the Trinity. And we get to be the benefactor of it. So that Jesus would be the firstborn among many who would be made like him. That's the church. That's the elect. That's God's people. How certain is this purpose that God put into order? How certain is this plan for all the ages that God determined to happen? Verse 29. Look at this. For those whom he foreknew. Who's that? Hang on. He also predestined. To become conformed to the image of Son, be like Jesus, so that Jesus would have many who would be like Him and worship Him forever and ever. How sure is God's promise that that's going to happen? The word foreknew. For those whom He foreknew. You read that word, and let's be honest, there's a lot of interpretive issues around that word. Here's what I believe this word means biblically in its context. Not simply a knowledge that God had of what was going to happen in the future. Some want to read this word and they say, well, it's God looking down through the, you know, the kaleidoscope of time and he sees Mike Lauren and Mike Lauren is so good, then God's going to determine to do something in response to Mike Lauren. I don't believe that for a second. (laughs) Because if God looks down through the kaleidoscope of time, all he sees is a wicked sinner deserving wrath and condemnation. The word for new in the context of the word know biblically. The word know biblically is a word of intimacy. It's a word of affection. It's a word of covenant love. 
Adam knew his wife Eve. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you. It's It's a word of covenant love, of affection, of desire. For new has the idea is it's not a response to what we might do, but a divine choosing and electing to establish a divine relationship of love with us. And when did that choice of God take place? Watch this. Before the foundation of the world. What did I do to contribute to it? You weren't even born. And God in his grace and his love elected to choose and call out a people. It is the love of God set on you before you ever could even do a thing to earn it or deserve it. Can I tell you what that is? Grace. (laughs) Grace. And those whom he foreknew, he predestined. That means to mark out beforehand. The original word in predestined is the word we get the word horizon from. The sun has a mark. It has a beginning. It goes through the horizon and it sets. It follows a course. That's this word predestined. To mark out beforehand. To set the course and the destination. God in his grace chose a people. Set out their destination. And determined that they would be made like the sun. The Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 30, he goes on, he explains it a little further. He says, and these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. In an expression or as a result of God's foreknowledge of his predestined grace, the Bible says he called The word called is the idea when God's sovereign grace meets our human experience and we hear the gospel and the Spirit of God opens our eyes and we believe. It's that call to salvation extended by the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2. Paul says to believers, he said, We give thanks to God always for all of you, knowing, brethren, beloved by God. We just read about that. His choice of you, we just read about that. How'd you know? How'd you know they were beloved by God? How'd you know their choice by God? Verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The person heard, they believed, they repented, they were born again. Why did all that happen? Because there was faith. Where did all that faith come from? The predetermined plan of God to his glory. Now, does that in any way negate human responsibility? No, in no way, form, shape, or how does all that work together? I don't know. I don't. Charles Spurgeon said, how do you bring these two things that are competing, how do you bring these two conflicting ideas together? And he said, they're not conflicting. They work in perfect harmony with one another. God is absolutely sovereign. We are nothing apart from his foreknowledge and his choosing. But at the same time, we are responsible for the decisions we make. I don't know how all that goes together. But the point of Romans is this. You are secure in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no separation for those who are in Christ because God set a plan in motion before the world began. He called. He justified, it says here. That's the whole point of the book of Romans. 
That point where we have been justified by faith. We have been made right with God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those whom he foreknew, this is an unbreakable chain of grace here. Don't miss this. Those whom he foreknew, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. The final state of all believers is that sin will be completely eradicated. We will be made perfectly like the sun. Our final blessed state of glory is the glorification of all the believers. And it is as sure as God's foreknowledge and his choosing, as our justification, as our calling, we will be glorified. That's why Romans 8, 1 can say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a lot, right? Take a breath. You all been holding your breath the whole time. Breathe. The glory of the grace of God that began before the foundation of the world and is pressed into our experience. And you read this and you go, how in the world do we respond to these incredible truths of God's grace that are laid out here in Romans chapter 8? I want to ask Suzanne to come on up, and she's just going to begin to play softly. And, I, and here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. We're, we're not finished. We're not even close, all right? So stay with me. I want us to respond to the grace of God that we are just showered with here in Romans chapter 8. So how, do I, how do I respond to that? I, I, I hope one of the ways we respond to this is with great humility. See, when you realize that it is God's electing purposes and it is God's choosing and it is God's grace and all that God has done and ultimately the plan of salvation is about His Son, it breeds great humility in me. And I pray it does in you. I, I hope it gives this challenge to pursue holiness because that's what the Spirit of God is doing in you. He's making you like the Son. I hope this creates in you a great desire for the mission to make Christ known. Remember that the fellow who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, he is writing this whole letter of Romans as a missionary support letter because he's going to Spain to make Jesus known. These truths undergird the mission. These truths reinforce making Christ known because God is saving, God is calling, God is choosing, God is redeeming, and we get to be a part of that. I hope this morning this creates a moment, a life of worship in your soul before this great God. I hope it creates security and worship in your heart this morning. Here's your final big truth is this. The Holy Spirit is our assurance that nothing will separate God's children from God's love in Christ Jesus. Nothing. So here's the way I want to end. I want to end the way Paul does. I'm going to read over you Romans, 30, Romans 8, verse 31 through 37, because Paul says, in light of all of this, what do we say to these things? How do we respond to this truth? And I just want you to enter in, even right now, kind of a time of worship and just kind of focus on these realities, meditate on these things as I read over them. I pray you worship, you praise, and then right after that, we're going to go into a time of celebrating the Lord's supper together as an act of worship so let me read over you Romans 8 beginning of verse 31 Paul says what then shall we say to these things if God is for us who is against us 
Answer, no one. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God didn't withhold his son, what in the world is he going to withhold from us? Nothing. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who can come with a charge that condemns you in the courtroom of God? That's the idea. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. At the same time, the Spirit is interceding for us. The Son of God is standing as our intercessor. No one can bring a charge against God's elect because no one can bring a charge against Christ. We're in Christ. We're in Christ. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, any of those things. Paul had faced all of those. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And I want you to take just a moment here as Suzanne plays, and we're going to prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. As you come down in just a few moments, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake in the Lord's Supper with us. There's bread, there's juice. We have tables in the back now as well. Before we do that, I want you to have a moment of worship here. And remember that our redemption is because God the Father foreordained it before the foundation of the world. The Spirit of God never ceases to secure and intercede on our behalf. And it's all possible because Jesus the Son made the provision necessary for us to be made right with God. You're going to take that piece of bread and that cup in just a minute and let that be an act of remembrance, an act of repentance, an act of worship. This morning as we continue to celebrate and praise our great Savior. Why don't you just have a moment there, bow your head, keep your eyes closed, whatever. It's just a moment of worship and then I'll call you down to take the Lord's Supper together.